Hello, everybody. We're going to be in First uh, Thessalonians again, and uh, today we're going to be looking uh, at armor. As uh, the Apostle Paul, as he writes this letter, mentions armor in the context of the return of Christ, and armor in that in the ancient world is ext- was extremely important. Um, it it, turn- it still is in our world, uh, but in in their world, you know, without the the big uh, missiles and stuff like that. That uh, you know, their armor was extremely important. Uh, one of the great displays of that is in the Spartan um, phalanx, where the the hoplites would uh, their soldiers would lock their shields together, their big round shields, and they'd form like a wall. Uh, and the Romans perfected that. And when the Romans came at you with their shields all locked up, it was like a human tank rolling at you with spears sticking out. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, so in their world, extremely important, uh, well-known by everybody. And in our world, the well, coming to Christianity, the attacks upon us are not going to be the same. Uh, what what's really going to destroy our lives is not a physical enemy, it's a mental enemy, and that's where these, as uh, the Bible calls them, fiery missiles, are projected at us. They're at our soul, and so we see a helmet in uh, Paul's depiction of armor because that's on purpose, where our heads are to be protected, meaning our souls. The attacks upon us are covert and stealthy, their thoughts, their false doctrines, their uh, world events that are designed to make us fear, uh, things in our personal lives that are designed to make us fear. And, and then we start fearing the near future. We start fearing ourselves. If we start developing addictions or have addictions, we fear our own selves, our own actions, and uh, fearing other people, fearing circumstances, and on and on the list goes. And that is because we have not worn our armor. Uh, what Paul's going to make a, an issue out of here is that the Lord, who is our, our general, our captain, who gave us the, his armor, it's his very armor that he gave to us, that uh, he's returning at any moment. And at any hour, he will return. And we are to be found by him alert on the wall, so to speak, in our armor, uh, doing his will, alert, watchful. And, and that's how we want to be found by him. It's this, the second time he comes, he's coming as a warrior. Even at the rapture of the church, he's coming to remove the church. And, and you know, that's a time in which we long to, as he says in his parables, we long to be found by him in armor and ready to do what, um, or already, or already doing what he desires us to do. So in First Thessalonians chapter five, and we'll pray. Well, let's thank God for the opportunity that we have to hear His Word and to be um, uh, educated in His Word, to be reminded of some things that are important for us to know, and to uh, grow in grace and knowledge. And so, with that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity and privilege of uh, being before your word, being able to, Father, take into our hearts the truth 
that you have recorded and preserved for thousands of years. That we, Father, uh, it doesn't matter the age, whether it was people in the first century or people now in the 21st century, 20, almost 22nd, I guess, and that we're, um, uh, Father, uh, impacted the same by your word. Uh, it doesn't matter what walk of life we come from, what economic status, what our physical birth is, where we're from. What matters is is that all of us are in desperate need of your truth and of your word. And so we return to it again today, Father. We ask that your spirit enlighten our hearts in the subject that you have for us. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. Uh, it is a vital health to our spiritual lives. Our, our, our spiritual lives should be healthy. Uh, and it's vital that we're reminded of our salvation. And that's what Paul is going to do here in this passage is remind them that remind the Thessalonians that they're saved people. So when the Lord returns, uh, it's not going to be for some people. The return is going to be a judgment and at the second coming. And uh, and for us, it won't be. Uh, When we're raptured from this earth, it's not unto judgment. It's unto deliverance. And Paul reminds us of that because of what? Because we're saved. This means our destiny is in heaven. It means that uh, as well we are loved by God in time. We're protected by God in time. We will be delivered by God as we follow his will. And that's what we have to do is follow his will. We'll also be disciplined by God if we don't follow his will. But to follow his will, no matter what else happens around me, I know with certainty that all things are going to work together for not just good, but for great in my life if I just follow his will. And though though I fail at it at times, because all of us are sinners, that I'm forgiven, I don't have to fear that. I mean, I can really go for it. I, I don't have to fear falling because I know I'm going to eventually. But I will pick myself back up and follow my Lord knowing that I am forgiven completely. <clears throat> uh, this means that we can live a purposeful and exciting life, not just living, but really living. Uh, Christ told us that he came to give us life and that abundantly. And that's in John 10 where he talks about himself as the shepherd and we're the sheep. The sheep hear my name and they follow me. And he said, I came to give them life. But not just existence, but true life. And this is brought out with the imagery of light in this passage. That we're of the day, we're of the light. And that is associated with being sober or really sound thinking. It means that not only are we, anybody who's alert knows what's going on. I guess somebody could be alert and be an idiot. Uh, and that, you know, you're halfway there, but you're not all the way there. We want the best. The best for us is to be alert, watchful, and completely knowledgeable of what it is that we're watching for, waiting for, what's important. Our world is in dire need of this. Uh, the, the world is a dark place. It always has been. There's um, light here and there amongst people. But for, you know, if we're looking at trends or current events or the news, everything's bad. You know, people don't want to watch good news. Nobody wants to watch that. They know this. So they just put up, you know, the worst things that they can find. Uh, meaning the media. But, you know, and also in our world, there's a lot of things that are happening that have never happened before in our society. It's not that they've never happened before. Like, transgenderism is a big thing now. It's not like, this is not a new thing. Men dressing up as women and vice versa have been around. It's like, oh, I know it happened in a bunch of the Greeks, amongst the Romans. Uh, I'm sure in all societies they had it. <laughs> Roman society was a very immoral society. Uh, but, you know, in our current world, in, in this nation, things are getting grim you know, with 
the, with the economic issues and other things. And it's all designed to make people afraid. And they are. People are afraid. And people lose hope. And when people lose hope, they, they do things that are destructive to themselves. And, uh, you know, where are they going to get hope? And that comes from you. It comes from me and you. Paul is going to tell us, he's going to very quickly, you know, we've looked at the armor of God in Ephesians 6 not too long ago. And that has more pieces to it than what he mentions here. And this is his first letter. But in this one, in the armor he reveals here, there's a breastplate and a helmet. And they're associated with three things. The triad, the great trinity of virtue, which is faith. It's not the same order as famously in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, is faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. But what Paul has here is faith and love are the breastplate and hope is the helmet. And the hope certainly points to our salvation in the context. And the world is without it. You know, the unbelievers in our world don't have it. They, they live lives of distraction. And yet, where are they going to get that light? Where are they going to get that hope? Well, Christ said, you're the light of the world. Don't put a basket on yourself. Reveal it. And we can reveal it with words, but Christ doesn't even, and of course we have to, we will. But Christ doesn't even mention words in, in the passage there. And it's in the Sermon on the Mount. You're the light of the world. Let your light shine, he said. And what he associated light shining with was good works. That they'll see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, if I don't have hope, Right, And I mean every day. I'm going to have bad days where I'm going to get despairing. It happens to all of us. But if I stay there as a believer, I'm an idiot. And I say this of myself as, as much as anybody. I'm not trying to insult anybody. <laughs> I've been there. I've done it. I've done it too much. But if we lack hope, things, and it, you know, for each, each of us, it's going to be different things. I, just, I, I, have, I know somebody who, who was falling apart because of a certain situation. They, they were getting very despairing. And <clears throat> it was a situation that wouldn't affect me at all. I'd be like, whatever. But a different situation for me. And, you know, what would have, that, you know, there's something else that would make me greatly despair. And it would be a test. And these come, God puts these on us. So, now, if our, if our ability, if you know, what causes faith, for instance? We have faith and love and hope. And what causes these things? Now, we're given them, right? We, we believe in Christ as our Savior. And then when we did that, we had faith. We had faith in Him. And we were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And then our, our ability to believe that which is true in the Scripture comes alive. And we're able now to believe things that we couldn't have possibly even understood before. So where does faith come from? And Paul would write, faith comes from hearing. In Romans 10, faith comes from hearing. Well, hearing what, though? Hearing the Word of God. And so when I hear the Word of God, you know, it's presented to me. Things that God has written to me. And I have to consider those things. Are they real? I mean, there's some pretty incredible stuff in the Bible. It's fascinating to me how I knew none of it when I became a born-again believer. And I guess nobody really did. But even if you are a Bible scholar as an unbeliever, and there are plenty of those, by the way, they have nice, cushy jobs in universities. <laughs> but I, and I, I know some of them are not believers in Christ at all. They just they know the text, you know. But, you know, even that, when, it's when you become a believer that your eyes really come open to what's written. And what's written is handpicked by God. And it is incredible. Do I believe it? 
and it takes time. You know, I, I believe some, I believe more, and as time goes on, I start to truly believe in everything that's written here. And I struggle with some, all of us do that, right? We struggle with some parts of it. When, and when we're talking about hearing, just like the Jews used it in sh, with Shema uh, in Hebrew, hearing meant obeying. In Greek, it's a kuo, to hear, uh, and where we get acoustics from. And that word, it's, when it's used as a command, listen, it's always a command to obey, just like the Jews used it. And when we hear, we're to obey. And as we know, there's some things that we struggle with more than others when it comes to obedience. But as we grow, we say, you know what? And with some help from God letting us suffer for when we disobey and disciplining us, when when we disobey, some of that pain is very good. And we start to say to ourselves, you know what? I should probably start obeying. And I love the fact that When there's that little voice inside your head that says, well, you're going to start obeying God now? You're 57 years old. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how old you are. Uh, Because this is a mental game. It's not a physical one. And if you've got still a few marbles rolling around in there, then you can obey God. And then God can really use you. That's the faith. Where does love come from? Well, it comes from the same thing. You know, but love is a different, <coughs> uh, it's, it's related to faith, but it's different in the fact that it's an expression to others that is truly sacrificial. You know, this is God's agape love. It's sacrificial. It's consider others as more important. It's being kind and generous, and giving, and not judging, and laying down your life. I mean, it's the, the ultimate way of putting it, and it's just how Christ defined it, that you lay down your life for others. And he was the example. So you love like I do, Christ said. And so you have faith and hope, and these are increasing in you. Uh, sorry, faith and love, and then comes hope, which hope is, I'm looking at the future, in my mind, and I'm not afraid at all. So I, I, I read in the news these predictions of, you know, it's so funny. I got a, 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 the phone rang here earlier, and it was a 503 number, so I answered it. <clears throat> and it was the voice on the other end. I said, who is this? And it's the voice that, I forget what he said. It was a he, but it definitely, and then I was like, what do you what do you want? And then there was silence and the voice sounded mechanical, but it was really good. It was very human like. And then I thought to myself, because there's so much talk about AI right now that I thought, oh, it was a machine. Right? And AI just called me. I bet you could have a conversation with an AI. And that just is too bizarre to me. But anyway, right, like um, hope. So here comes AI, right? Terminator's coming. I'll be Bach. You know, he's coming. And, and, you know, you're doomed. Planet Earth is doomed. Unless we make more windmills. We're doomed, right? And so, and, and people get afraid of this. But we're not. Because this isn't our kingdom. This isn't our world. It's not that we don't love our nation. I love America. I always have. I'm very patriotic, but when I'm, I'm more patriotic about the kingdom of heaven. And the United States was never meant to last. Sorry. That would make it the kingdom of God. It's not even remotely close. It never has been. No kingdom on earth has ever been. Hope is the ability to look to the future and say, you know what? If the Lord came back right now, would I be under his wrath? What if I just sinned right before? Say, you know, I'm a, I'm a real devout Catholic and I had to confess my sin to the priest just before I die, which would in essence mean just before the rapture, you'd have to do the same thing. It's in the twinkling of an eye, though, so you better be like right next to a priest to confess. Anyway, I joke. <coughs> 
am I going to fall under the wrath of God? Absolutely not. I am delivered. I'm saved because I believed in Christ as my Savior. I fear nothing. At least that's the way it's supposed to be. And rightly so, you know, Paul describes that as armor. It protects us. It protects our soul and our heart. And it even protects our bodies because God designed these bodies. These are still in the image of God, though they're riddled with sin and they're falling apart and they're getting old and bald and fatter and all of that. But it's still designed by God. Adam had ten fingers and ten toes and two eyes. You know, like it was the same basic stuff. And therefore, the body is designed in the way that God designed it. Same with the brain. And it's supposed to be doing the stuff that God wills. You know, it was a Gnostic teaching that said, you know, give your soul, your invisible soul needs to be spiritual, but your body is evil anyway, so you might as well just do whatever the heck you want physically. And that kind of message really resonated with me, especially when I was younger. <clears throat> At my age now, if I try to give my body what it wants, I'm going to have to call in sick to work for a couple of days. I ain't going to make it. <laughs> you can't, you know, it, age has its purposes <laughs> when it comes to certain sins, but but also, you know, more so than that, it's not like old people don't do physically bad stuff. And of course, the Lord said, if you think it in your heart, you've done it, whatever that is. But the, 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 the resonating message here is that Paul is telling us that our lives need to be protected because if they're not, they'll fall apart, even as believers. They'll fall apart. And he doesn't want that. We don't want that. So when it comes to us being witnesses to the world, can we truly be good witnesses if we don't have hope? No. Can I truly be a good witness if I don't have a strong faith and a strong love? At least a love. You know, God's love and it's increasing in me. People are going to see me not love. People are going to see me, you know, not have faith and lose hope. And then where's my witness? <clears throat> and so in our context of Thessalonians, Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians to continue in their faith, hope, and love, which they have. He wrote that in chapter 1 that Paul was actually thankful and impressed by such a, a group of such new believers who had faith, hope, and love and good works. They're under difficult persecution. Uh, we noted many times, I'm reminding you of this, so that you never lose the context of the book, which is always so helpful to understand the passage that you're reading. He's showing Paul that though <clears throat> all who live godly are going to suffer. He would write that in another letter. If you desire to live godly, you're going to suffer. Now, and then in chapter 4, Paul encouraged them because they, had a, they, they were confused about resurrection. Those who had already died, are they going to resurrect or just the living? And, you know, and some question in there. And Paul reaffirms that, yes, the dead in Christ will rise. And, in fact, they'll rise first before the living. And then chapter 5. He says now, and as he's already told them this, he's already taught them this, as you know, the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. It's coming quick. Meaning, at any time. The imminent return of the Lord. And this corrects our despair of the future. And what I mean by that phrase is the same old question that every Everybody who's following the Lord and doing their best to, to do what the Lord wills, when they look around them and see that so many in this world are not doing that or could care less about that and are persecuting me and you and others 
<coughs> they're wicked, they're causing a lot of suffering and a lot of pain in other people's lives. Are they getting away with it? Are the persecutors going to get away with it? Is my suffering going to, hap- going to go on forever? You know, is there no end in sight? Now, you're, you and I, if you're under suffering, it might go on. And it certainly, I think all of us would say it's going on longer than we wanted it to. I mean, you'd have to be a sadist. Wait a minute. I, I'm always forgetting which one. Masochist is me. Me, right? So you have to be a masochist to want, you know, want to suffer. None of us want that. But <clears throat> if the Lord is returning at any hour, any minute, any moment, Today's really my last day, right? In a way. <clears throat> now, this is called the day of the Lord. And Paul's going to say that we're of the day. So we're made for this day. It's a day of light, even though there is fierce judgment going to come with it. So the theme here is that the day of the Lord is coming and we are to live vigilantly in the day and wearing the day's armor. The armor, as <coughs> excuse me, Paul's going to um, call it the armor of light in Romans. If I hurry up there here, we'll, we'll get to that. <coughs> so look at verse 1. Now as to the time and the epics, brethren, epics is seasons. You, you have no need for anyone anything to be written to you, meaning that Paul's confident that they already know this. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And while they are saying peace and safety, this has happened in every generation. Whenever a nation or a people in prosperity, they're always like, this is always going to be this way. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I'm, I'm reading a book about... Uh, the the arrests of people in the Soviet Union in 19 you know when the World War II started and of course the Germans invaded Poland which is the border nation between Germany and Russia <coughs> so as Germany goes in one end of Poland the Russians come in the other end and Poland has no natural boundaries it's just flat and so, you know, a bunch of Poles got arrested for no reason by the Russians. The Russians were like, yeah, you're a spy. I'm like, no, I'm not. And then they put them in a court. It's amazing to me. They put them in a court, and they, before they send them off to Siberia, they need a confession on a piece of paper. Everybody in that Russian court knows that that guy is innocent, but they won't send him away to, to Siberia until they get his signature. Rick, you're a wicked liar. Just send him. Why do you need the paper? Is it their conscience? Their conscience says, look, he signed. He said he's guilty, so I'm not culpable for this crime. This awful crime of sending someone away to Siberia for 25 years for nothing. Incredible. They had to get them all to sign. They tortured them until they did sign. Incredible. Uh, So, before any of those men were arrested, the ones I'm reading about, they thought everything was going to go fine. You know, before 1939 and Germany invaded, things in Poland were really going pretty well. You think, well, everything's going to just stay this way. Young people think they're going to stay young forever. Right? We all thought that. You look at old people and you say, God, you're old. I don't know why you have pains and you're limping and your back hurts. You know, that's never going to happen to me. Anyway, peace and safety, you know, that's what the world says. Then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. All right, Paul, of course, here he picks this super painful event that happens, comes upon a woman without warning. 
But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief, but you are sons of light and sons of day. Notice both. We have a position and we're supposed to have an experience of light. We're sons of, of, of day, which would mean we're of the day, and we're sons of light, meaning we should walk in the light. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. <clears throat> For those who sleep, do their sleeping at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord, who died for us, so that whether we are awake, which means alive, or asleep, which would mean dead, we will live together with him. And he says, encourage one another with these words, just like he did when he uh, taught on uh, the, the rapture. Uh, so <clears throat> in chapter 4, build up one another with this. Uh, so, you know, there's a what I'm going to focus on today is just the armor. Uh, and on Sunday, we'll do a little more out of this passage. So, you know, I'm kind of cherry picking the topics. Uh, this is They're all very much related. We talked about being alert yesterday uh, in, in our, less, our last lesson. And today we're going to be looking at vigilance. Now, wearing this armor and every day having faith, love, and hope. Do I get a day off from this? You do not. We're sons of the day, right? We live in 24-hour long days. With the sun out, <laughs> like Joshua fighting and protecting the Gideon, or whoever they weren't the Gideonites, they were started with a G. <laughs> I just read Judges, uh, uh, anyway, uh, Joshua, I didn't even get the book right. I read Joshua not too long ago, but <clears throat> when he's you know, the sun's out all day. But of course, he's not saying sleeping here is a sin. He's not talking about us being physically exhausted. We're tired and getting the sleep that we need. He's talking about in our waking moments, are we slothful? Are we caring of this life that's been given to us? Because, look, if we're not good stewards, it's going to go to waste. And, you know, that's a, that's a pretty uh, major message in, in the Scripture. When Jesus talks about being alert and watchful, the parables, uh, several of the parables, it's like two at least, that he uses the steward. And the steward is the one who's put in charge of the things in the house. And while the master's away, what's the steward doing? I put you in charge and I'm going away. You don't know when I'm coming back. It's a perfect. It's perfect for this. Because each of us have a stewardship. You have a spiritual gift, you have a ministry, you have a spiritual life. It's given just to you, just to you, and mine, just to me. It's unique to me, as yours is unique to you. And so God is entreating us. And in this world, you know, we have, <clears throat> it's very, see, only in this world can we actually be heroes. Because in eternity, it's all just perfectly natural to do this. But here, it's a struggle. And that's what the hero does. In every story, the hero is at a disadvantage. He's either weak or doesn't know or is lost. Or, you know, he starts off at a disadvantage. And at the climax of the story, the hero overcomes Something that no one expected him to. And in every story, the hero has help. He doesn't never do it alone. The hero always has help from somebody. And, you know, that's what all good stories are made out of that. Isn't that interesting? If, you have, if there's Nobody wants to hear or read a story in which, uh, you know, chapter one, a guy's super rich and super strong and, he takes all that he wants and buys everything he wants, and then he lives happily ever after. After, and, you know, there's no conflict, there's no struggle, there's no 
<coughs> it's not a story. So the call for vigilance is noted in terms of keeping awake, having one's wits about yourself rather than being overcome by drowsiness and intoxication. And it's voiced in military terms in, in the fact that we're in a war. I mean, why would we need armor if there wasn't actual uh, weaponry used against us? But much like people in the world are lulled into a false sense of security in times of prosperity, you know, uh, someone sent me a great, Tim Byer sent me a great article about, now, China's power is seemingly growing, right? We don't know. Who knows what's going on in that kingdom? But uh, Christianity is still increasing in China. And the emperor there is trying, he's been trying to crush it for, for a long time. And, and the ones before him, have, they've been trying to crush Christianity to remove it since Mao Zedong's revolution. They've been trying to remove it. They can't. It's only grown. It's growing. Far. The church in America is decreasing. The church in China is increasing. And, and at a fast rate. Because, you know, in China, if you're going to be a Christian, you either got to hide it, which would make you a poor Christian. Or you've truly got to dedicate your life to it if you're going to do it. Same in Iran and in other places. If you're going to be a Christian in these nations, you have to be truly committed and give your life to Christ and not care about the consequences. Or not, I shouldn't say not care, but not fear the consequences. Here in America, you can be a Christian and be like, you know, country club. Christian. You can even say you're a Christian and not be one and just act like one and you might not even be one or someone might not even be one. In times of prosperity, we get a false sense of security as if we're not in danger. And then we go to sleep spiritually if that happens. <clears throat> if uh, this type of believer becomes slothful, in prayer, in Bible study, uh, we're to make the most of our time, most of our opportunities, and they don't do that. Instead, they behave somewhat worldly and just go about in the world, occupied with worldly affairs, living as worldlings. The words watch and pray should be graven or etched upon in the shield of every Christian warrior. It's amazing to me how vital prayer is to this. Because if you become, if you slack in your alertness in the Christian life, it is it has a direct effect on the slackiness or slothfulness of your prayer life. We are to watch, we are to pray, we are to be alert every day, and just today. You know, we plan for tomorrow, but you know, if tomorrow doesn't come and the Lord comes, no big deal. I mean, actually, it's a big deal. But uh, we're not going to go up in the rapture saying, oh, no, I had that last thing to do before. Can you send me back so I can finish? No. And we're reminded of that in the scriptures so that we don't. No, don't take it all so seriously. Um, yeah, you know, you, you can have a lot of things to do and a lot of things to overcome, and you can sit there saying, I gotta do this, then I gotta do this, and then I gotta overcome this, and then I gotta do that, and you're all worked up about it. And look, you gotta do it anyway. You could either do it relaxed and happy, or you could do it all stressed out. Right? What's your choice? You, we too often choose the stressful way. And we actually think we're getting things done better because we're almost angry at the things we have to do. And, 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 and God has said, look, don't worry. Don't be anxious. You're not going to add another second to the day that you're living. So relax. Enjoy me. Know that there's a plan. All right, go to, uh, so in verse 7 again, those who sleep do their sleeping at night. Those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober. 
Go to Matthew 24, 45. A couple of gospel passages. And these, the wonderful coupling here with what Paul writes between and what the Lord states. And note, so far I haven't said one thing about dispensationalism. I haven't said one thing about which passage is the rapture and which passage is the second coming. And you know, one of my one of the commentaries I like very much on First Thessal First and Second Thessalonians, the guy does not believe in a rapture. And so, you know, as I'm reading, I, he writes awesome things about the passages, but he thinks everything is the second coming. I disagree with that. But there's a lot of people who do believe that. I haven't gotten into it at all. And yet, are we not learning how to live? Are we not learning what the coming of the Lord, whether rapture or second coming, the fact that our destiny is heaven and the Lord could return at any time, it has an impact on how we're living today. And you know, people even they try to predict the time of the rapture. Why? I never understood that. I've had friends who go frantic over that kind of thing. And I, I was like, why? I don't get it. Like, how could you possibly predict it? And then you get all revved up on the day that you think it's coming. And then when it doesn't come, because yeah, I guess if you predicted every day to be the rapture day, you'd eventually get it right, you know, but like a broken clock, right? But when it doesn't happen and they're all depressed the day after, and, you know, I don't see the point in it. The point here is to live my life knowing that though I work here and do here and I'm planning for tomorrow, this place, this world, even this body is very, very temporary. It's so temporary that it could either die or be raptured an hour from now. How many people die in a minute on planet Earth? I looked that number up. 106 every minute. That's 50 million a year. Drop dead. Well, I don't know if they drop dead. Slowly die. Whatever. But <clears throat> every minute, 106 people die on average. All right, Matthew 24, 45. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? So this is a steward. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. There's reward in this. But if that evil slave says in his heart, Ah, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with the drunkards. Notice there's alertness and drunkenness in the, in the parable as well. <coughs> the master of that slave will come in a day that he does not expect him at an hour which he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him in a place with the hypocrites. After you're cut in pieces, I don't think you're going to care where you're assigned, but as the story goes, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, don't get scared at the weeping and gnashing of teeth part. If you're a believer, you're a believer. You're not going to be cast in the lake of fire. In the context here, that might not even refer to the lake of fire. But there's always one point in a parable. The saved are always saved. What are we to be? What would we want to be? You read this story and you say, you know what? If I could hang out with the drunkards and just put my feet up, and not do what I'm supposed to do when I'm in charge of the master's house. That's what I would prefer. <clears throat> and I'd want the master to reward me when he returns, and then I want to do what I want to do and you know, not do his will. What does that tell you about your, who you see the Lord to be? You know, that's how unbelievers live. And if you're a believer... Why is that what you want? And, you know, I wish I could go back in time. If, if I could go back in time and tell a younger Joe, why do you want these things? Younger Joe would have flipped me off and told me to go, you know, go to hell. <clears throat> I don't think it would have worked. But 
What in the world do we, do we truly want? And as sons of light, we have the Holy Spirit within. We have been made new creatures. We have been designed since we are sons of day. We've been designed for the day. <clears throat> In the parable of the ten virgins, look at uh, go forward to Matthew twenty-five thirteen. Just the last line. I'm not gonna. It's not really our subject, although it applies to it here too. He says in verse 13, be on the alert then for you do not know the day or the hour. Be on the alert then for you do not know the day nor the hour. There's a lot of speculation about the five virgins who don't have their oil and so on and who are they. And the, the point of the parable is to be alert. You don't know the day or the hour. So be ready. That's the point. That's what he's getting to us. Go to Luke 21, Luke 21, 34. <clears throat> Excuse me. Luke 21, 34. Be on your guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down or weighted down with dissipation. And that's wasting, wasting time, wasting the things that God has given you, weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day will not come on you suddenly, and that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and stand before the Son of Man. So the same thing is stated here. There's drunkenness and there's, you know, suddenly like a trap. Is sounds just like what Paul is describing the day of the Lord. Now, this is, it would seem a second coming passage, not a rapture passage. But the, what, I, what I don't like doing about that is that if you conclude it's a second coming passage and you believe in a pre-trib rapture, and I do, that, you say, well, this isn't for me, right? Because we're not, the church isn't on earth at the second coming. We come back with him. So we look at this and say, ah, second coming, it's for Israel. It's not for me. And, and I think that there's a big issue with that because there, there are lines in the scripture that are written. And even if they are for the future and, and not for our particular dispensation, you know, it's the same with, you might as well throw out the Old Testament then if you're going to, going to do that that's for israel so it's not for me right but is it you know this alertness and sobriety to be the the born again and saved human being that and in the manner of that god designed me to be meaning in the light in the day wise smart strong kind loving compassionate passionate even you know passionate about the right things <clears throat> so we have uh, let us belong what's that doing there I don't know <laughs> so light in in light we have the father is called the father of lights in James chapter 1 the son of God is the life that became the light of the world. Jesus told us that you are the light of the world, so we're the light. (coughs) Excuse me. Our life is to be light, and the path is light, and the armor is light. They're all described with the same word. It's phos, where you get like phosphorus from. In Greek, it's phos. Uh, And... Uh, Psalm 89:15. How blessed are the people who know the joyful sound! O Lord, they walk in the light of Your countenance. Right? Light is always this in the Scripture. In Isaiah 2:5, Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. <clears throat> so we put on this armor. This armor is the Lord's armor. 
This is what he gave it to us. Isaiah 59:17. put on righteousness like a he, sorry, he, the Lord, put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation is on his head. Isn't that amazing? Breastplate. Do you think Paul had this in mind when he wrote to the Thessalonians? You bet he did. I would say that 100%. When he gets to writing Ephesians, his idea of armor kind of progresses a bit, and he puts more pieces. There's a sword and a shield and the shoes and the belt. (coughs) Excuse me. But uh, here in Isaiah 59, it's just two pieces. The Lord wears them. And it's the same thing. You know, it's righteousness is his breastplate. That's the same thing he uses in Ephesians 6. For us, this... No, we have the righteousness of God too. That's part of our faith. Our faith is to see ourselves as who we are. And it's part of our love. You know, why does God love? Because He is love. Why should we love? For the very same reason. And there was, uh, the other day I got. You know, what happens to me is a thought will come into my head and I'll be just so grumpy. I'll be grumpy. And and, and I thought about um, this latest grumpy episode. Well, I was grumpy for hours, which makes me a nasty person, too. I I'm basically get quiet, but if, if I start talking, fortunately, I'm alone here, so I don't get to, you know, put that on you, but... I I went in prayer as it made me miserable and and I went in prayer and asked to talk to God about it. What a you know what a revelation you know talk to God about what in the world is wrong with my thinking. And just a minute alone with Him made it real clear. There was something I wanted I didn't get it. There was something I another thing that I wanted to see happen and it didn't happen. And then I was, and I thought for in some weird way in the back of my mind that I was justified and that, you know, the, the circumstances that didn't work out the way I wanted, they were, that was wrong. And then I'm mad or grumpy at the thing or the people involved in the thing. And here I am thinking in a really self-righteous way that I, de- I deserve to be grumpy, angry, bitter. I deserve it. It's their fault. And, you know, we're all sinners here, so, yeah, maybe that other person did do something wrong. Okay, judge, how about get off the bench? Because you don't belong there. And when I talk, God revealed to me, he said, Joe, you are being so selfish right now. And I'm like, oh, dang it. You're right. You're always right. You get sick of being right all the time. You're always right. I was completely selfish. I wanted what I wanted. But as soon as I saw the problem, gone. Because I I don't want to be bitter anymore. I just don't. Maybe that's a good old age thing too. I'm just tired. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm the Lord. The Lord's coming back. I'm getting older. I'm going to be dead soon anyway. <clears throat> right? I don't, want, I don't want to go through the rest of my years bitter. We should all want to finish strong here. Stronger than we are. As Paul says to the Thessalonians, increase, do it more. I know you have faith, hope, and love. Excel still more, he says. All right, I knew I would do this. All right, so go to Romans 13. How do I know I would do this? Because I do it every time I teach. I'm trying to, I'm trying to wrap it up in less time, but what are you going to do? Look at Romans 13:11. And so what we finish with here is the same message. We've seen it with the Lord in the Gospels. Be alert, I'm coming, and, and, do what, and be vigilant. Hence, the the armor that I must wear on a day-by-day basis. 
Paul said, since we're of the day, let us be sober, having put on the bread. I'm just reading Thessalonians again for your reminder. Since we are of the day, we are believers. Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. <clears throat> and then he says here in Romans 13:11, do this. And we'll see what this is in a second. Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Now, what does Paul mean here is that the Lord's return is closer than it was before. And it's kind of like a really like a no-duh statement, but yeah, it needs to be reiterated. <clears throat> salvation, they're all saved. He's writing to save people. It's very clear in the letter. But he's saying, look, salvation, what does he mean here? Is deliverance from, as he says in the context, going from awaken, uh, sorry, to awaken from sleep. And, and this would refer to the fact of us being resurrected. At the rapture, I say resurrected, but raptured, which is means caught up with him in the air. And notice the context. So it says in verse 12, The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity or sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ to make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. What a beautiful parallel. To, now, Romans, he writes later, not too much later after Thessalonians, but you know, it's the same thing. And he, he adds a little bit more here to drunkenness. He's got the sexual thing. He's got, but also strife and jealousy, which are the mental attitude stuff, like me running around bitter and angry. And what does he say? Let's put that aside and leave it off and let's put on the armor of light. Why? Because salvation is at any moment. And what he means again <coughs> is the deliverance of our bodies, deliverance of us out of this world coming at any time. So the, the imminency of the return of the Lord means that since I'm of the day, that is my deliverance from earth to heaven. And because that's true, I need to be walking in the light, not in the darkness. It's uni this united to, and to do that because it, it's a crazy world that has so much against me and is going to invade my thoughts, invade my soul, attack my thoughts, attack my spiritual life, and cause me to stumble and and lose faith and lose hope and lose love rather than gain it that i need to wear armor which he associates here with putting on the lord jesus christ the armor of light the very next sentence he says put he says put on the armor of light and then he says put on the lord jesus christ he's really equating the two hence has God not given each of us an adventure? Quite the adventure. If we see our lives as drab and dull and, you know, I'm, what do you mean adventure? Indiana Jones had adventure running all over the world looking for rare artifacts. That's adventure. Living your spiritual life in your very corner of the world, is an adventure. This is full of adventure. <laughs> Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the calling upon our lives that come from knowing your truth. Well, come from you, but we know the calling from your truth. We know that our Lord is returning at any moment. And when he does, Father, we want to be found by him as his stewards, wearing his armor, ready and alert. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us one day at a time to live. We don't have to be anxious about tomorrow, just today. And today we can be faithful. Today we can wear the armor of light. Today 
we can be alert, praying, learning your word, growing in grace and knowledge, growing in hope and love and in faith. And we can do that today. So we thank you, Father, for your graciousness. We also thank you for your patience because some days we fail pretty bad. And uh, we thank you, Father, that you have forgiven us as you have said. We ask, Father, that in, uh, through the Holy Spirit that our hearts would be enlightened, each one of us. And we ask in Christ's name, amen.
Okay. 